0: Hey everybody, this is Ryan. I'm the college pastor at Northway Church and we're glad you're listening to our podcast. You are listening to sessions from our college conference that we did this spring and at this conference we focused on the, the main theme of the love of the Father and we had a buddy of mine named Adam Tarver. He's the college pastor at prince avenue baptist church over in athens he came and he did two sessions for us and that's what you're listening to here where session one he focuses on god is love and then the next session he focuses on god is father and they really are uh, just really incredible and we think you'll get a lot out of them because we did at the conference uh, now the second session "The god is father it does have a little bit of an audio problem but cut out in the middle of it and so that's unfortunate but it's still really good and so we hope you'll check it out but we hope that these are just fruitful and good for your hearts and we hope that uh, if you're not plugged in with us that you get plugged in with us and you would contact us all right guys y'all enjoy
1: Amen. What's up, Northway College? It is good to be here with you. It's going to be back amongst friends. Like Ryan said, my name is Adam Tarver, and I have been friends with Ryan for a very, very long time, and with Micah as well. So it's good to be here with you too, Micah. Hey, I told Ryan that I think one of the breakout sessions tomorrow needs to be just story time with Adam and Micah, and we just tell stories about Ryan the entire time. Yeah, would be so, it would be. <laughs> The real thing is we would never do that because Ryan has way more stories about us than we have about him. So anyway, but hey, it's really good to be with you. Seriously, I love coming back to this place. I grew up at Northway Church, and it's just always a joy to, to be here. But it's sincerely a joy for me to be here with you because I, I want you to know, I think this is really important that you know, that all of you in this room are an answer, a tangible answer to prayer that this Northways College Ministry is something that has been prayed about for a really, really long time. Like I remember us graduating high school and going off to college and really wanting a college ministry to form here. And Ryan and Sarah specifically have just prayed about this a ton. And so I'm just, I'm really thankful that you're here. I think it's really awesome that you've come out to spend the weekend. And I'm just really excited to be here um, with you this weekend. I have one goal for this weekend. I just want as much as humanly possible, I love what Ryan said earlier, that these weekends are for us just to, To stop, to interrupt the routine a little bit, and to focus our hearts on what matters most. And my heart for you this weekend, my goal for this weekend, is to point you to the God who loves you beyond compare. To the God who created all things, who spoke and sent galaxies into motion, yet has declared that he loves you. And has invited you to know him as your heavenly father. So we're going to be spending the bulk of our time together this weekend just talking about God's love and talking about the fact that he has called us and desires for us to relate to him as our heavenly father. And we're going to start tonight in the book of 1 John. So if you got your Bibles, I want you to flip to 1 John chapter 4. Everything that I say tonight is being taken from this passage of scripture. And I think it's important that you know that. This is not just stuff that I'm throwing at you. In my opinion, my opinion doesn't mean anything. I want to point you to the Word of God. I want you to see the truths in this text. So we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, and we're starting in verse 7. If you've got your Bibles, read along. I believe it's going to be on the screens as well. This is a little bit of a long passage. I'm going to read it for us, and then we're going to pray one more time. So John says this to those that he's writing to. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second and pray with me? As we enter into this moment, I just want to give you just a second of silence. And I want you to pray. If you're willing, I want you to pray and just ask God to use this time to speak to you, to reveal more of himself to you. I don't know what you're walking in here with. I don't know the distractions that plague your mind, but I want to give you a moment here in this space just to get before the Lord, to ask Him to speak, and to use these moments we have together. I'm going to be silent for just a second, and then I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to dive right in. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful to be here. I'm genuinely just excited about this weekend. But God, what I know and what I believe in my heart of hearts is that we can do all the planning that we want, we can play all the games that we want, we can sing all the songs we want, we can even talk all the, or go through the, as many passages of scripture as we want, but if your presence is not with us, it's all for naught. And so Lord, I'm just praying that you would be here among us, that you would be moving in tangible ways, that we would be experiencing you in new and fresh ways, that you'd be showing us just things about yourself that maybe we have never seen before. Would this weekend be used really just to draw all of us, everyone in this room, would you just draw us closer to yourself? May we see you more fully for who you are. Change us. Use this time. Use this space. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, so I just read this long passage of scripture in 1 John chapter 4, and it's pretty wordy, and there's some things that you need to know just about the context of everything that is going on here, okay? Because we just jumped into like halfway through a chapter 4 of a book, so it's important that you kind of know why this book was written and who John is writing to. And so what you need to know about this group of people is John is writing to this Church, He's writing to this group of people a specific time facing specific issues. And if you can imagine it, I know this might require a little bit of imagination, but John is writing to a group of people who are having a hard time get along, getting along. Might be hard for you to imagine, right? Like that he's living, these people are living in a day in which there's a lot of division. There's a lot of animosity, there's a lot of frustration, there's a lot of conflict happening. There's people who believe radically different things about who we are, how we're meant to live our lives, who we are meant to be and how we're meant to live in this world. People who are all over the map theologically, people who are all over the map politically. And John is writing this book to this group of believers, encouraging them to be different than the world around them. That's why he's writing this book. He's writing this book, speaking into this culture where there's so much animosity. And the main thrust of this book, John continually throughout this book of 1 John, encouraging, encourages these people to cling to two things. He says to cling to the truth and to love one another. Those are the two things repeatedly that John says to these people that if you want to be a part of something different, if you want to be a part of shaping the culture, of being a part of the kingdom of God advancing in the midst of animosity, in the midst of frustration, in the midst of division, then you need to cling tightly to the truth of who God is and you need to love one another. And I love that. Because I think that that is a word that we absolutely need in our day today. Because yes, this was written in the first century to a specific group of people facing specific issues. But let's be real, we're facing some of the same issues, right? We look out on our world, there's still tons of animosity, tons of division, tons of frustration. We see this on a macro level, right? We see this like with the conflict in Ukraine. We see this on large-scale issues, but we also see this interpersonally, right? We see this amongst one another. We even see it within our own friend groups, within our own churches. And what the enemy loves to do is he loves to get in and he loves to divide people. To get people to be spread apart, especially to get in the lives of believers to cause frustration, to cause animosity. And we too need this encouragement from the book of 1 John. If we want to be people who live lives of significance, who live lives of pushing back against the darkness for the glory of the Lord, then we too need to cling to the truth of who God is. And we need to love one another. That's what we need in our day. So that's what we're going to look at tonight from First John chapter 4. We're going to look at how John calls us to love. And I want you to see from the get-go, those first couple of verses that we read in verses 7 and 8, John does something really interesting. In verse 7, he says this. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God And knows God. And I want you to to notice something really specific here. I want you to notice John's logic and his argumentation in this. He's calling people to love one another because love is from God. And what I want you to notice here is that in his argument, what John is doing is he's pointing upstream. You understand what I'm saying? He's not pointing downstream. He's not, pointing, he's not saying, hey, love one another because love will do this. He's saying love one another because of where it comes from. And you got to understand, this is not at all the way that we tend to argue in our day. Like if we're trying to convince someone to do something, we tend to point downstream. We tend to point towards the results because we're a results-driven people, right? Like I was just, I was thinking about this earlier. I told you, Ryan and I grew up together and I was just thinking about stories from whenever we were kids. And whenever Ryan and I were kids, I was always the one that was trying to convince Ryan to do things. Because Ryan, if you've spent any time with him, you know he is a rule follower to a T. doesn't break any rules, okay? I am the antithesis of that. And I would go to Ryan and I would try to convince him to do things, right? So our conversations often look like, hey, Ryan, come on, let's go do this because it's going to be fun, right? Like I remember Ryan had just gotten a brand new go-kart, okay? And we were like seven years old. And Ryan's dad had told us to be really careful with a new go-kart. And so Ryan was driving this go-kart like he was an 87-year-old grandma. And I was like, come on, right? Let, let me drive the go-kart. Like, let's go fast. It's going to be fun, right? And so he fin- after so much convincing, he finally lets me drive the go-kart. And within like 15 seconds, I wrecked the thing and we got in a lot of trouble, right? But it was always results driven. Whenever I was trying to convince Ryan to do something, I was always pointing downstream. It will be fun. It will be a good time. It will be cool, right? That's how we tend to argue. But that's not what John is doing here. He's not saying, hey, love one another so that it will go well for you. He's saying, hey, love one another because of where love comes from. He says, beloved, love one another because love is from God. And I want you to really grasp this language. I think this is really important. In the original language, that that phrase, beloved, let us love one another, it's literally translated as those who are loved, let us love Those who are loved, let us love. He's saying, hey, you are already loved by God. Now move out and love one another. Go love one another, not because of where it leads, not because of what it results in, but because of who you belong to. That's what John is saying here. So what John is trying to get us to understand from the get-go of this passage of Scripture is that our love for others, if we want to be a people... Who genuinely love one another well, who push back the darkness in the way that we love, that our love for others is directly tied to God's love for us. That if we want to love people well, we need to first understand God's love. For us, that we don't take our cues for how to love and operate in this world from people or from the culture around us. We take them from the God who made us. And we look to this God who is love. My, one of my favorite authors is a guy by the name of C.S. Lewis. I imagine that you've heard of C.S. Lewis before. He's probably most famous for his fictional stories called The Chronicles of Narnia. They're children's books, but I think that every adult should read them because they're absolutely beautiful. But he wrote a lot of nonfiction things as well. And he talks about this idea that God is love and that we're meant to take our cues from how we are to love from this God who is love. He talks about this in one of his most famous nonfiction books called Mere Christianity. Mere Christianity. I'm just going to read you a quote from C.S. Lewis. I think it's important that you see it. I think it's going to be yeah, it's on the screen. It's a, it's a long quote, but I want you to see this. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, all sorts of people are fond of repeating the Christian statement that God is love. But they seem not to notice that the words God is love have no real meaning unless God contains at least two persons. Love is something that one person has for another. If God was a single person before the world was made, he was not love. He's Referencing the Trinity there, which we're not going to get into tonight. Okay, I'm going to leave that one for Ryan. He says, of course, what these people mean when they say God is love is often something quite different. They really mean love is God. They really mean that our feelings of love, however and wherever they arise and whatever results they produce, are to be treated with great respect. Perhaps they are, but that's something quite different from what Christians mean by the statement God is Love. They believe that the living, dynamic activity of love has been going on in God forever and has created everything else. What C.S. Lewis is saying here is that a lot of people love to adopt the language of the Bible and they love to preach about the importance of love. But what the culture around us is actually doing is they're actually making a God out of love rather than looking to the God who is love. That's what the culture around us does. They make a God out of love, rather than looking to the God who is love. And and what C.S. Lewis is saying here is that we're not meant to look to our own feelings and our own attitudes to learn how to love, because our own feelings and our own attitudes will always point us towards us. Towards self, we're meant to look to God, not just make a God out of love, but look to the God who is love. So what I'm saying by saying all this is that if we're going to be people who move into the world on mission with King Jesus seeking to push back against the darkness, seeking to be a part of the kingdom of light and the kingdom of God advancing, then we need to be people who cling to the truth of who God is and we need to love one another well. And if we're going to do that, then we first have to have a good understanding of how God loves us. And the rest of this text in 1 John chapter 4 gives us incredible insights on how God loves us. So what I'm going to do with the rest of our time together is I'm going to point out four things about God's love found in 1 John chapter 4. And then I'm going to point out one practical takeaway for us. That's where we're going. Four things about God's love for us and one practical takeaway as we leave this place. So the first thing that I want you to see, again, I want you to see it in the text, not just my opinion. The first thing that I want you to see is that God's love initiates. God's love initiates. I'm taking this from 1 John 4, verse 9. That text says this. It says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, that we might live through him. What we see in this is that God sent his Son, and whenever we see God sending his Son, we see God initiating love. We see God taking the first step towards And this is really important for you to understand because there's this false idea out there that our relationship with God is all dependent upon us, that it's on us to find God and that we've got to be the ones that take the steps towards him and that it's all on us to make some decision and chase after him. And there is a part of our faith that is a decision that we make to follow Jesus, but that's not all of what the Bible teaches. What the Bible teaches is that on our own, that we are all dead in our sins, that we are without hope in this world and that we could do nothing to earn the love of God and that we all by nature, that we actually run from God and not to God. But God chose to move towards us, that he is the one who initiated this relationship, not you. And he did so by sending his son into the world. But we often don't think about that in our relationship with God. We have it sometimes in our mind that we have to prove ourselves worthy of God's love. And I think that one of the reasons that that is is because that's a lot of how our other relationships work, right? Our relationships with our, with our friends, with our boyfriends or girlfriends, and, and with, with anybody really, there's, there's an element that we have to kind of prove ourselves Sometimes, right? Like I was thinking about this this week. This is a little funny story for you. Where I work, uh, so I work at Prince Avenue Baptist Church right outside of Athens, Georgia. And one of the other pastors on staff with me, his name is Scott Moody. And Scott has four kids, he's got three boys and one little girl. And I've gotten pretty close to Scott and his family, and there was one afternoon, it's been several months ago now, that Scott invited me to come play some baseball with him and his boys. I grew up playing baseball, and so he asked me to come out to the fields, and so it's me, Scott, the three boys, and the little girl, Amelia, was there with us. And so for that day, like, Amelia was just having a blast. Like, she's just, she's over there, we're like best buds, right? Like, I'm I'm throwing the ball with her, like, I'm teaching her how to swing the bat, and like, for that Saturday afternoon, me and Amelia were just friends, right? And then, a couple weeks later, Amelia Just decided we weren't friends anymore, right? Didn't consult me about it, didn't tell me why, just didn't want to talk to me anymore, right? So I would, like, pass her in the hallway at the church, and I'd, like, bend down and try to, like, give her a fist bump, and she'd just kind of, like, recoil and, like, walk away like this, and just, like, just cold shoulder, right? And then it became, like, a little bit of a game. Like, she knew that I wanted a fist bump from her, and so, like, I'd bend down to give her a fist bump, and she'd kind of, like, hide behind her dad and just look at me. And I remember one day, like it's on a Sunday, and I'm sitting there talking to Scott, and Jessica, his wife, comes up with Amelia, and, and I bend down to like try to give her a fist bump. She won't do it. And another pastor on our staff, whose name is Skye, he bends down to give her a fist bump. And I'm not kidding you guys. This girl's four years old. She looks me dead in the face to give Skye a fist bump. <laughs> like, cold-blooded killer, right? And so I finally, a couple weeks ago, just asked her, just straight up asked her, I said, all right, Amelia, I'm tired trying to figure this out. What's it going to take? What's it going to take for us to be friends again? And again, not lying to you guys. She dead looks me in the face. She goes, chocolate, chocolate. So I was like, okay, all right, I get it. I'll get you some chocolate. So I I went out and I bought her a bag of M&Ms. I came the next week, I gave her the M&Ms, and then she gave me the little fist bump, right? So I guess we're friends. That's the price of her friendship right? And that's, that's a funny story, right? It's a funny story with a little four-year-old girl. The price of her friendship was some chocolate, and now we're buds again. But if we're being real, if we're being honest tonight, I think that that's how a lot of us think about our relationship with God. We really do. Like, we understand intuitively enough that there's something wrong with us, that there's some separation between us and God, but what we do is we go into fix it mode. And we think we've got to do something in order to prove ourselves worthy to God. But the reality is, that's not the gospel at all. That's not the gospel at all. The gospel is not that you have to fix yourself in order to make yourself worthy of a relationship with God. The gospel is that God saw our sinful state, saw who we are, saw this reality of sin and death that we had created for ourselves and that he stepped towards us, that he initiated, he moves towards us by sending his Son, God's love initiates. This love moves towards the beloved. God's love initiates. The second thing that we see is that God's love sacrifices. God's love sacrifices. I'm getting this from the very next verse, uh, 1 John 4, verse 10. It says this, in this is love. Not that we have loved, but that but that, excuse me, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So again, here in verse ten, God, John is continuing that thought from verse nine. He's reminding us that we did not initiate this love; that God initiated by sending His Son. But then he elaborates on this thought even further, and he says that He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, let's talk about this word, propitiation. This is a word that oozes religion and theology. And my guess is, unless you're like a Bible nerd or theology scholar, you probably didn't use the word propitiation in your normal Friday conversations today. And so let's talk about this word. I believe in you. You can learn a new vocabulary word tonight, so we're going to talk about it. Propitiation, in the Bible, what it means is this. It carries this idea of something being settled, Or appeased. That's what propitiation means. Something being settled or appeased. Something being atoned for. It's using another Bible word for it. Something being atoned for, or a debt being paid. See what the Bible teaches is this, is that our sin, like I said earlier, causes separation from God. That our sin accrues a debt, so to speak, that we could not pay on our own. Because what we see in Scripture is that God is this holy, perfect God. He's holy and he's mighty and there's nothing that we can do to offer him anything that will ever pay the debt that we have accrued. No sacrifice that we can offer on our own that will satisfy the debt that we have racked up in our own sin. But God saw that, and out of love, God chose to offer a sacrifice for us. And he offered the sacrifice of his very life. And so get this. I want you to wrap your minds around this. That there is no sacrifice that you could ever offer to this holy and perfect God. And so this holy and perfect God became a sacrifice for you. For you. This holy and perfect God became a sacrifice for God. Out of love, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, left heaven, came down to earth, took on flesh. We just sang about it. Emmanuel, God with us, and lived the perfect life that you and I could not, and was crucified, laid down his life to pay the debt that you and I Oh, he sacrificed once and for all. And I want you to hear that truth tonight. My guess is, I'm I'm making an assumption here, I don't know all of you in the room, but I'm assuming that many of you know this story. You've heard the story of Jesus. You know what he has done. But I want this to land on your heart tonight that he did this for you. Like, I think sometimes we're really good at talking about the things of Jesus on a macro level, you know, we know John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he sent his son. And that's true, and that's good, but I want you to hear the truth for you. God wants a relationship with you. He cares about you. He knows you. He loves you. And he sacrificed for you, for you to be brought back into relationship with him. This is a sacrifice not that you have earned, not that you could have ever deserved, but one that is freely given out of great love. God's love sacrifices I'm going to hit a pause right here because my shoe is untied and I'm scared I'm going to trip, okay? So I'm going to do an awkward thing that I've never done and I'm going to tie my shoe on stage. Cool? We're going to do that. So, Eric, you know how it is, bro. If I, if I trip up here, it would be bad. So, this is great. This is kind of like uh, spelling in front of people. It's kind of harder to do whenever everybody's watching me. So, anyway, all right, thank you. I appreciate you letting me do that. <laughs> so, anyway, the, the third truth that I want you to see. The third truth that I want you to see from this text is that God's love abides. God's love abides. Again, we're getting this directly from 1 John 4. I'm taking this from verses 15 and 16. It says, whoever that confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know God and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Again, this is one that needs a little bit of explanation because I, I don't think we use the word abides very often in conversation. What you need to know is that this, this word abiding is, is, is kind of two-sided. It has the idea of us holding on to the Lord and him holding on to us. It's two-sided, him holding on to us and us holding on to him. But what I want you to see here in this text, and this is a really important clarifier. It says that God abides in those who have confessed that Jesus is the Son of God. And that's a really important clarifier, that God's love abides in those who have confessed that Jesus is the Son of God. And so what we see here is that this, the kind of love that this text is talking about is not just for everyone no matter what, but it's for those who have confessed the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. And I realize that may be a little confusing because you may hear that and you may say, I thought God loved everyone, and that that is true. God loves everyone in the sense that he created everyone and desires a relationship with everyone and has provided a means by the sacrifice of his son to be in relationship with him. But the kind of love that this text is talking about is a relational type of love that only exists in relationship with God, that this love only abides in you if you have confessed the truth of who God is and who his son is. What this text is kind of letting us in on is this idea that God's love Is never removed from truth you understand that God's love is never removed from truth the truth of God and the love of God go hand in hand and so what this text is showing us is that to truly experience this love of God we must be in relationship with God and what the Bible teaches us is that to be in relationship with God we must accept and profess the truth about who Jesus is that he is the Son of God who purchased our freedom, that this, Jesus, is the only way to be in relationship with God. Jesus himself says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one gets to the Father except through him. So the only way that we can truly experience the fullness of God's love for us is to be in relationship with him through the sacrifice of of His Son. This is what it means to know God, to be in relationship with God, to experience the love of God. We must profess the truth of who He is. And that is a very controversial way to think in today's world. Because what the world will tell you is that true love and experiencing real love and finding significance and value in this life is all about finding your truth. That whatever works for you, whatever makes you feel good in the moment, it's like what C.S. Lewis talked about. The world will make a God out of love and will tell you to go out and to find your truth and whatever works for you. But all that is, is a pursuit of me. What makes me feel good. What satisfies me in any given moment. And all of those things will fall short. And so what the Bible is saying here is that it's, life is not just about finding your truth, it's about knowing and confessing the truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of the Living God. And whenever you confess this truth, whenever you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for your sins and then rose from the grave three days later, the Bible teaches us that we are welcomed into the family of God. That we receive the adoption as children of of God. We're going to talk about that more tomorrow night, but this idea is that we must know the truth of God whenever we confess this truth that God's love abides in us and we abide in God's love. And like I said, that idea of abiding is two-sided, right? It has this idea that we cling closely to the Lord and we cling on to Him with all that we have but at the same time He's holding on to us. That's a really encouraging thing because what we know is that Our effort will eventually fail, but his never will. Again, I think about it like this. I got another story about one of my friend's kids. My my wife and I don't have kids yet, so I got to tell a story about other people's kids, I guess, for the time being. So anyway, one of my buddies, Brant, he has three boys. And the oldest of his boys, his name is Luke. And whenever Luke was really little, I'd go over to their house, and Luke would always just want to wrestle, right? Like, is just what little kids do. And so we're like wrestling. I'd like throw him on the couch, and we're playing. And one of the things that Luke really loved to do is he loved to, like, grab onto my thumbs and I would, like, wrap my arms around his hands and I'd, like, pick him up in the air and I'd, like, swing him back and forth like this. You know what I'm saying? You've, you've done this with some little kids before, maybe. Like, I, I would just do this right here. And he loved it. He thought it was hilarious. He would laugh and he would play and he thought it was awesome. He loved to do that. Now, let me ask you, is the reason that Luke, this is the reason that Luke never fell out of my hands because he was so strong and he was holding onto my thumbs so tightly? No. But it was because I was strong enough to hold him and make sure that he never fell. That's the picture that I want you to have whenever you think of abiding. That there is this element that you hold on to the Lord. You hold on with all that you've got. You pursue after him. But if you belong to him, you can take hope. You can take solace in the fact that he is holding on to you. And he's strong enough to make sure that he, you never fall. That you never, he's never going to let you go. If you are in Christ, if you have confessed that Jesus is the Son of God, that there is nothing that will ever pluck you out of the Father's hand. This is what it means, that God's love abides in you, and you abide in it. So God's love abides. The fourth thing that we see about God's love is this, is that God's love secures God's love secures. Taking this from verses 17 and 18, it says, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. I love this. This verse is so beautiful because it shows that for those of us who have received the love of God, who have been brought into the family of God, who are his children through the sacrifice of Jesus, that we have ultimate security in his love, that his love offers a security that enables us not to be fearful in this life, but to stand firm and to be confident, not being swayed by anything that comes at us. And that's something that we desperately need. I was thinking about this even just earlier this week. I'm reading through the the book of Matthew right now with a group of guys um, in our college ministry. And several weeks ago, we were at the very beginning of Matthew. And and I was reading Matthew chapter 3, which is where Jesus is baptized. You may have read this story before. He's baptized by John the Baptist. And he comes out of the water. And it says that the heavens open. And there's a voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased this is the father speaking affirmation and love over the son this happens at the end of Matthew chapter 3 but then what's really interesting is at the very beginning of Matthew chapter 4 it says that the spirit leads him into the wilderness where he's tempted by the enemy and the enemy comes to him and begins to tempt Jesus after 40 days of fasting and he begins to tempt him the first two temptations start with this The enemy says to Jesus, he says, if you really are the Son of God, then turn these stones into bread. The second temptation says, if you really are the Son of God, then throw yourself off this cliff and the angels will protect you. What the enemy is doing in Matthew chapter 4 is he's trying to get Jesus to doubt his identity. He's trying to get Jesus to doubt the security that he has in a relationship with the Father. He's trying to get Jesus to feel the need to prove himself. The enemy will do the same thing to you. But because Jesus had just come from that baptism moment and he knew what his father said of him, that this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, he did not feel the pressure to prove himself to the enemy. And his knowledge of God, what God had said of him, made him able to be faithful in the present. Because Jesus is secure in the love of the father and enabled him to be faithful in the present. And I want you to know that the same can be true for you. That if you are in Christ, that that means that you are already loved. That you have been chosen as a child of God and you do not need to prove yourself to him. Jesus has already accomplished everything for you and you can rest in the love of the Father knowing that you are identified as his child. And nothing can take that away from you. God's love secures. That's what this text teaches us. It teaches us that God's love initiates, that God's love sacrifices, God's love abides, and God's love secures. And Like I said just a few moments ago, I want you to understand that this is true of you. Don't just breeze past this. Like Ryan said a few moments, we're we're here tonight on a Friday night to pause long enough and look at these deep truths of Scripture, so just consider with me for a second that there is a God in the universe, this is what the Bible teaches, that there is a God who created everything that we experience, who loves you this deeply. That's an incredible thought. That's a huge thing, and I want you to experience this love personally. Not just intellectually, but with your heart, with all of your being. And I want you to understand that whenever we experience this love, it is our obligation to then go and share this love. First John chapter 4 is very clear about that. And our final point for tonight is this. Our love imitates. Our love imitate so that we are meant to follow the example of our God and love others the same way that he has loved us within this small passage of scripture John is so clear about this in verse 7 he says beloved let us love one another for love is from God verse 11 he says beloved if God so loved us we also ought to love one another in verses 19 and 20 we love because he first loved us this love that we receive from God is not just meant to stop with us It's meant to flow through us. We are meant to imitate King Jesus in the way that we love others around us. You know what that means? It means that your love is meant to initiate. You move towards others. You don't just sit idly by and hope that others come to you. No, you go after people. You pursue people in the name of Jesus. You initiate. It means you sacrifice that you don't make everything in every relationship all about you. That you value as others as more important than yourself. You pursue people and you love people and you lay down your comforts in order to pursue people well. It means that you abide in relationships. Meaning that you don't give up. That you don't fight with people, you fight for people. And you don't leave whenever relationships get hard. You're there for one another. And your love is meant to provide security for people too. Because ultimately, the way that you love should show a glimpse of the way God has loved you. And your love for others should point them to the ultimate love that the Father has for them. We are meant to love as God has loved us. Earlier, I quoted C.S. Lewis in that chapter from Mere Christianity. And at the end of that chapter, he uses this metaphor that he calls the good infection. The good infection is what he calls it. And this idea behind the good infection is this idea that whenever we get close to God and we surrender our lives to him, that we receive his very life in us, that we're made into something new. C.S., what C.S. Lewis calls the good infection of sorts. But he says that we're not meant to hold this to ourselves, that we're meant to move towards others, getting close to them and loving them in the same way. And as we do, we are meant to spread the good infection. It's a really risky metaphor to use in 2022. I understand, but C.S. Lewis wrote it a long time ago, so it's fine. But I want you to see this. At the very end of this chapter, C.S. Lewis says this. He says that Jesus came into this world and became a man in order to spread to other men the kind of life that he has by what I call the good infection. Every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing else. This is our purpose for living, is to be a little Christ, is to be an example of Christ in everything that we do. So if we're gonna be people who live lives of significance, who live lives of value, who push back against the darkness, who see the kingdom of God advance in our city, on our campuses, in our friend groups, in our families, in the nations. We must be people who cling to the truth of who God is. and We must love others in the same way. God's love initiates, God's love sacrifices, it abides and it secures. And our love is meant to imitate